Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, you guys. Welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast. This is a obviously being thrown out in the middle of the week here. I wanted to put this podcast out because this week I was uh, on vacation for New Year's. And I didn't get a chance to post Monday and Wednesday. So this is a special podcast that's getting put out here for you guys first before it goes on YouTube. You may have seen clips on some of our social media. This is a podcast live in our studio. So this is the first podcast that I'm doing with my actual training staff. Some of them anyway, a handful of them. And I'm really excited because we've been working really hard on this studio uh, or the the podcast studio for a while now, trying to get it together in between, you know, the chaos of life. We finally got it together. Uh, it's not complete, but we finally were able to sit down and record a podcast. So this is, again, a handful of my staff talking about different topics in the dog training uh, questionnaire thing that we did live. So we went live on Instagram. And we took some top-rated questions that you guys had asked, which I'm really excited about because it's going to give you a different uh, perspective, different voices, uh, different ideas. And I know that uh, it's something that I really have been wanting to do. And we're also going live with this on my YouTube channel tomorrow. Uh, so today's Friday, so it's launching tomorrow on Saturday, January 7th. It'll be live as well. So hopefully you guys, if you guys want to put a face to a name, a name to a face, or if you just want to see us interact live, you can watch it tomorrow. But here it is. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast because I'm going to be answering three of your listeners' questions at the end. If you want me to answer your specific dog training question, all you have to do is head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your review and your question into review. I hope you guys like this. It's the first of many. Um, jumping out on a limb here and doing something different. Enjoy. All right, so we went live on Instagram, and we have three dog training questions that we all believe are good. First one is what? What did we write down? That was the baby, right? Baby intro? Okay. How do you introduce a baby to dogs? If you guys want me to go first, I will because I'm the only one here that has a baby. All right, so introducing... Man. Inter- and you guys can chime in too, of course. Introducing, I think, dogs to babies, there's two things in my experience. The first thing is, is dogs are so intuitive that I've had clients that have had dogs that don't like new people, or I've had dogs that have an aggression issue or a tendency. And when the mom goes through the pregnancy, they, when, when the baby comes home, the dog doesn't like think any different. It's like, oh, I've known this baby for the last nine months or whatever. So that's my first opinion is oftentimes when you do, I mean, you always have to be careful regardless of the dog's behavior, right? Like it doesn't matter if the dog is aggressive or friendly or whatever. There's, they're animals and they sometimes don't know how to turn things down. Some dogs do. I think some dogs have a natural kind of like parenting vibe where they know when babies are babies and they'll slow down a little bit. But in my experience, that's the first thing is dogs who are aggressive or nervous or fearful always welcome these new babies with no problems like they've been there forever because they knew the baby was 
in the mom at the time. That's my first thing. Second thing is, is your obedience has to be really good. So why don't you guys go over, so I can stop talking, why don't you guys go over some obedience that you guys would think would be huge in bringing home a new baby? I mean, I think place in itself is probably the best command since you can target it. You know, if the baby's, you know, with the mom or dad on the couch, you have a dog bed next to it, place, and then assuming that the dog can settle, yeah. now you have a good introduction. Because if the, if the dog's like super hyper or just just absolutely cracked out, it's going to be hard to get them to chill out. If they're already in place, hanging out, it's good mm-hmm. to go. Yeah, I'd agree. Place command is definitely like your ability. And again, it doesn't matter the spectrum of the behavior of the dog, aggressive, excited, like, doesn't matter if you tell your dog to go to their place, they should stay there until you release them. Anything else? I mean, honestly, maybe a stronger, like, a strong leave it command even. Yeah. So if they if, if they do get too, like, too intense or you're able to kind of even, like, a, I guess, like, an out command in a sense of, like, hey, like, or send away place to a different yeah. spot, different couch, ottoman, say, all right, go away. Yeah, and I think the good thing about this, too, is you have at least nine months to prepare. True. So, like... Any dog that you guys have it at home when you're introducing a new dog to a baby, again, it doesn't matter the behavior of the dog or if they have a history of being aggressive or a bite history or whatever. You always should have the – because even if, like – I mean, just having a baby myself, the amount of people coming into the house, the amount of things that you have to do, like you're in and you're out, and you're really not, like – I'm still, like, all over the place because we're just constantly, like – you know, trying to do everything that we do as well as be good parents. And so you're just like not as focused as you normally would, especially for first time um, people who are having, I guess, first time parents. So, um, yeah, so obedience in general, I think you do have enough time. Don't wait two weeks before the baby comes or the due date to say like, oh, we should probably train our dog. Like the moment that you guys, any parent finds out that they're expecting their first or their third or whatever, they should start training immediately or at least know like what type of dog you have you know so yeah. if you have like if you will a zora who is super super hyper you know having a, just a really good settle whether it's going in the crate a place command again versus a dog that's more like laid back or cat-like that doesn't really care mm-hmm. good obedience nevertheless but you just know the personality you know the energy level and that also plays a massive role like if you put them like a high drive mal into a household that should not have the mal yeah. And now there's a baby coming. I mean, that's have you enough. Have you guys ever had a client that you've had to tell? Um, oh, and the other thing, too, we should probably tell viewers because this is probably like the first fuller length thing that we're putting out is you guys have all been working with me for a good amount of time. And so I don't know. I guess when I ask you guys questions about your training experience, not everyone here has been here their whole career. And also... I don't know what you guys do or in your sessions. So have you guys ever had to, I was just going to say, cause I've had to also have the hard conversation with dog owners to say like, this dog is not a good fit for a child. Have you guys, and same thing too, like even if it's not their newborn, if they have like um, nieces and nephews that come over all the time and they just adopted a dog, those are conversations that I've had to had to say, look, you don't have the control that you need with this dog, nor do you have just the time to handle this particular breed. You know, if you have a really, like, opportunistic 
dog, you yeah. know. Well, I mean, I think I I think of two immediately, and I, and I know you've you've uh, worked with them, two big German shepherds. Yeah. You know, they were they came in hot. They came in really just intense. And you know, as we kind of progressed, I mean, they both came out well. But at the end, it was a, m- a matter of like dealing with some major fear-based. The dog was abused, genetics. and genetics obviously play a massive role. But it was one of the things where, hey, like you have a six-month-old daughter right now, but in five, six years, she's gonna have friends over. Right. Like, do you want to have to, in a sense, play zookeeper for the next ten years? You know, it comes down to you're we're either gonna deal with it now, or the dog is gonna be either rehomed or whatever else could ha- occur. Luckily, you know, the owners were super dedicated. And they made the right decision, and they ended up. The dog is, to my best of my, to my knowledge presently, is crushing it. Yeah. But again, like the, also, dedicated owners versus ones that you know, obviously not everyone should have those types of dogs, especially if they can't handle them or, you know, having a baby. That's a lot. Most dogs, when if they're an only child, if you will, you become a kid, the dog gets very little attention now. So even acting out. Yeah. And I think that that also is a good point, too, because a lot of people don't think about the child's future. Like, because they're, like, a little baby, and even, like, Banks right now, he's five months old. He doesn't he's, he doesn't have buddies coming over yet. He's not, like, running around the house. He's not, you know, throwing balls. You know, like, he's he's just, like, a handheld thing. And so his life, that's the other, that's a good point, Zach, is just. Plan ahead. Yeah, explaining to people that, hey, this is your dog, or this is your child now, but once they have friends over and things. And, and also just, like, if your dog is 12, like, chances are by the time the kid is running around, you know, they they might not be around or whatever. But, um, yeah, so good obedience. So place command, uh, the, obviously the stay command that's implied with the place. I think recall is also just as good. And or it's it's kind of... Um, you can fl- you can versatile. It's very flip floppy with like the place, but I just think in general like having good control. I know a big one for especially a lot of board and trains that come through, whether they have kids or are planning to have kids, is like overall manners, like not jumping up when yeah. um, like they're holding their kids or changing diapers or things like that. But on the other end of that spectrum too is like having really good obedience for your dog and control of your dog, but also like teaching the kids the certain boundaries to not push the dog in certain situations that could create a problem or have them snap in a situation that could have been prevented even if the dog has really great obedience as well. We've had a board and train come in that was super flashy, send away place, recalling off of people, dogs, food, and it was um, more so the interactions between the dog and the kids were the biggest problem rather than the dog's obedience. It was how the situations themselves were, were being managed as well. Right. So you mean just like the dog's personality and the ki- and how the kids were interacting with the dogs just wasn't? Yeah, there was like a lot of grabbing, climbing over the dog, and it, over time it came to like the point that every time the kids and the dogs were in the same location, it was just this association of being annoyed um, that the kids were around and screaming and running. So it became super, super negative and difficult to manage both the two little ones and the dog, even when the dog was doing exactly what she was supposed to do because the, the other two weren't really on the same page of maybe how to interact with her. Yeah, And then I think there's also something to be said for like advocating both for the needs of your specific dog and the child at the same time. Mm -hmm. So like a a great example is my two personal dogs. um, 
my male Doberman uh, has a very high prey drive, and he is not great around kids. He just goes after them, not out of, like, aggression or anything, but he wants to chase. If a baby's crying, he hears it. He wants to go after it because he wants to catch whatever's making that noise. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't know the difference. So when, you know, my family has small children, and when they come around and things like that, I just remove him from the situation completely and give him what he needs separately, whereas my younger female, she is amazing with kids, and that's just kind of in her nature so she's allowed to have those experiences and I kind of you mm-hmm. know just advocate for what my dogs need and put them in situations that I feel that they would do well in and not put them in situations that would set them up for failure or yeah. put any children at risk yeah and just knowing your dogs right and like what their disposition is naturally like if you're if you have a dog at home and you feel like they would react negatively if a kid stepped on them or like pulled their tail or like they would get grouchy. Like those are, it's just hard because those are situations that as your life changes and as your life matures, you have to make different decisions because like same thing with my two dogs that passed away this last year, Lola and Thompson. Lola was 18 ish. So she was with me all of my twenties, quarter of my thirties. Um, so she was living me like my whole life, but I never had kids. But like as she got older, I wouldn't probably let young kids around her because she's like cranky and sore and like, you know. And then, um, you know, like Lakota, my shepherd, she's so same thing. It's a perfect example of like what you were just saying, Alyssa, is she is very friendly towards people and she never would not ever be. I would always trust her in that regard, but she's really like how Julia's Darby would be or Zora or even Tuca or delta it's like really like i have to like when i i want her like when we brought okay i'll go over my experience with bringing banks home with lakota because that was that was interesting i've never seen her do the things that she did and also i think for this question in particular i can answer it because i worked all the way through it um and she she did things that i never saw her do and i was like really like what (laughs) anyway but i just think like with her when i bring banks down like on my lap and like she comes up, I monitor her physically by like holding her chain or holding her, you know, collar. So she can't, cause I don't want her licking his face because she eats raw food and it's just gross. So I like manage her physically, but she's also the dog that like wants to kiss everybody. So I, I'll let her kiss like his feet or her, his legs or whatever. I want, I want her to be able to see him because I don't want to fully like not have access because I think that that will just build like this frustration between them, especially because in the beginning there was a lot of weird tension. So when we brought Banks home, when he was a, a newborn, you know, the first week or whatever it was, he was literally like, you know, just a mush. Like he was just a baby. Like he, all he did was cry and sleep, cry and sleep, cry and sleep. Um, and so Lakota was so afraid of him. Like she would go up to his bassinet, which was in our room at the time. He's not in our room anymore, but she would go up to him and she would stick her nose out and like stretch all the way to like, see what it is like a dog would, if they were fearful towards other dogs, like what we do with the fake dogs. And I've never seen her do that because with people, she's really never shied away, but because it was an infant, It changed everything. Like, it was completely different for her. So because of her fear getting to a point where I'm like, I've never seen her that afraid. Like, she would literally, like, stretch out and, like, point and just be terrified. And any time that he would, like, cry 
or like he would like fart really loud was just like just like baby farts she'd freak out she like didn't know what to do so judging by that behavior because prior to that i would have said that she would be in any situation and i would never have any hesitancy all right never have any like filter but because i saw that behavior because it was an it was a new environment she's never like i don't have people over with four-day-old babies you know so that was something i was like okay i want that to warm up so again with her obedience I was able to do all of that. Like I can say, go to your touch and stay. And you know, not, not every dog is perfect. You know, we learned that the other day here. But she she'll do it. You know, if I'm really on top of her and I and things like that. But that's the other thing too is I had to almost recondition her because I hadn't really needed her to really do anything ever. Like she got to a point where she learned her obedience, and I never really use it. You know, if I bring her out here to demo or in front of clients, she's just working for something but like I don't know so that was an experience I had because even a dog that is really well trained on leash and off leash that I would trust and me being a professional of the dog I was like nope she's not going to go anywhere near him for a while until I started to see her start to act normal so once she started wagging her tail and like lick lick lipping like I was like okay and then I would like let her sniff him and stuff. So, yeah. So obedience. Take your time. Know your dog. Ad. Alyssa, like great point on advocating. Like making sure. Like if your dog is the grumpy, leave me alone. I don't really, you know, want to do much. Like you have to understand that, you know, you're gonna have to keep the dog separated, or even, you know, having that conversation with the owners to be like, this household or your household and this particular dog is not fit for, you know, having a toddler, or having a newborn around. And it sucks because as couples mature and like then have babies and the dog that they had for three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, they have to make that switch and that hard decision sometimes. And so it's tough. I've had to have those conversations with people who have adopted dogs where they get this dog and I'm like, this is a liability not only for just normal humans coming into your house, but, you know, because once, cause once kids start to crawl. That's, that's a whole new ball game whole new ball game because they're like they like even banks right now he's like slapping my face and he like doesn't know what he's doing and i'm like you know like if he's when he starts to crawl he's going to be right at like food level but that's the thing is like again advocating like i would never let him go in her room where she eats and it doesn't matter how nice your dog is or how trained your dog is you still have to not be naive to canine behavior or dog, animal behavior in general i mean they're still predators at the end of the day you still know dogs like, they're yeah. still animals like they're in a crate they have a bowl that they eat raw food in you don't want some little kid going in there but i th you know we've all seen those videos on social media right where it's like oh yeah yeah like kids oh, are yeah. like banging on the dog yeah. and they're in the dog like you can just tell like the posture you're just like oh my god well i think i think that's one thing too is people don't outweigh the pros and cons and i think a lot of things are social media driven nowadays where it's like we're going to put our five-day-old baby mm. in our dog's bed to take a cute picture mm. and it's going to build a lot of tension so i think people yeah. are very naive to that stuff um but i also think just to add to like everything people have been saying just desensitize the dog as soon as you know you're having a baby like get a fake baby hold it cradle it around put your phone on youtube play baby sounds like just try to desensitize the dog to those sounds because it is it's weird and it's, you can't replicate a right. real baby coming into your house 
But if you can desensitize your dog to some of those things, it's going to make their life less stressful, less, less tension, frustration, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, because I know for us, like, we had everything in advance. We had the stroller, the bassinet, the crib. We have all that stuff in advance. So it's a great point, Kyle. Like, get a fake baby, talk to it, treat it like a baby. And same thing we tell people, our clients, whether they listen or not, <laughs> with our fake dogs, we're like, don't let them go up to the fake dog because once they do, the, the magic is gone. Yeah. So, yeah. like, don't let the dog um, see the fake baby or know that it's fake because then you kind of lose that so magic. You, you just got to go buy another one now. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, go as far as, like, wrapping it up yeah. and talking to it and carrying it around the house and passing it off to family members yeah. and literally replicate. Yeah, I tell people do that, work the dog's obedience for 10, 15 minutes, make those sessions. Like, yeah. work the obedience while that's happening. It's not going to replicate a real baby screaming as loud as they can, but yeah. it's going to help. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, so, you know, those are all great great things that people can start off with. But I think at the end of the day, like knowing your dog, and I think a lot of people out there that have just a neutral dog that loves everybody and they've never had any problems. I think obedience is huge, advocating for your dog because they're not going to be used to this thing crawling around. And, and who knows, like it's the same thing like anybody out there that has nieces and nephews too. Like I have two nieces and, you know, the interesting thing about having nieces or, and or nephews if you have them is – they're not yours, obviously. So at one time they come over your house and they're this big. And then the next time you may see them, they may be this big. And so those are other things too, that if you have small kids over, even to your neighbors or your friends, like this is a good conversation of all the things that you should be doing that. And the other thing too, guys, is like, if your dog isn't good with kids or you don't know how it's going to go, put them in a crate. Yeah. <laughs> like don't, why chance it? Play like, safe. Flip, yeah, flipping that coin up in the air is not worth not only your dog getting into trouble but obviously a, a child getting hurt right I agree like um Delta my dog his obedience is wonderful and he could be coexistent with children in the room or the house or whatever it may be but again why take that risk that maybe he won't listen or maybe mm -hmm. the kid will go up to him when they're not supposed to or things like that why take that chance if yeah. you can avoid it completely yeah and I think it's the same conversation like we have all the time with our clients where you know we have a conversation with the dog park we have a conversation about like our dogs meeting dogs randomly on the walks or randomly like out for a stroll in your neighborhood or downtown or whatever. And it's like the ROI or the return on investment for that meet and greet is close to, it's like you're flipping a coin. It's like, if it goes good, they're going to wag their tail and sniff a new dog that you'll probably never see again. Yep. That's what your dog's getting out of it. And then you might have like a conversation with a stranger that you will likely again, never see again. Oh, it's your dog, uh, Golden Doodle. How old? Six months. All right, cool. Bye. But if it goes wrong, and it is usually like a 50-50 split, if it goes wrong, you're talking fearful fearful dog maybe for a long time because of the incident. You're talking vet bills. You're talking lawsuits. You're talking stitches. Uh, you're talking you potential. I mean, it's dark, but like as trainers, this is the shit that we see. Realistic. I had to deal with it just a like a month ago, walking my dog down the road and, and even probably was you know in the sense my fault of knowing like okay i've walked past this house before and i got charged and but at the same time since then the woman had put up a fence so i was like all right you know what what could possibly go wrong famous last words and i'm walking past the house and i'm like oh the, like the dog's out i'm like oh why is it in front of the fence <laughs> and you know sure as shit um zora just noticed it that dog charged her you know, I got in the, I got in the middle. And thankfully, nothing happened. But same thing. 
call your dog. The woman's like, my dog can't come. I'm like, what? What are we doing here? Yeah. Like, why is it off leash? Why are we now, you know, having this conversation that could have gone substantially worse if my dog's obedience and, in a sense, me being able to handle it, I mean, that could have been bad. Yeah. And a lot of times it is because people, like, they don't know what to do. They freeze. Oh, 100%. But that's, I don't know. So it's the same thing. Like, we, we, we have these flip of a coin all the time. Where, like, people are like, like, you know, like, the clients that we work with just, I feel like it's, it's one of those, like, you know, same thing on the, the back of my sweatshirt right now. Like, that's why we made this merch is because everyone thinks that their dogs have to, like, go out and be social. Yeah, I think, I mean, a big conversation I have with people is don't let society dictate what you do with your dog. I think social media and society as a whole really impact decision-making people make with their dogs and what they allow them to do versus not allow them to do. Um, I mean, it's, we're all on social media, and that's why people are here listening to this, but you see 30 different people on TikTok posting 30 different things, and you don't know what to choose, so usually the first one you hear is the one you're going to go with until you get slammed for going with that person, and it's just people get a lot of really good information, but there's a lot of really bad information, and I think it causes a lot of inconsistency with training their dogs too, but I think from from a societal standpoint, don't don't let society dictate what you do with your dog at the end of the day. It's your dog. It sounds weird, but it's your property, like just because people want to say hi to it doesn't mean they have to just to yeah. say no, no, no. You don't have to give a reason. Just no. And we're moving on. <laughs> Those are all good points. Uh, and then, you know, the other conversation that we could probably have in the future when we have a little bit more time is just, you know, picking the right dog trainer for you. Because like Kyle said, is like, you know, being a, somebody, you know, a creator in the space um, amongst thousands of other creators, I think the problem that social media creates is like confidence like if I come out and say something like this is how you do this I'm just saying like this is how I do this and I think when it comes across people are that's where like this this like hostile stuff comes in like no no, that's not how you do it it's like no it's, you know and, and so like that's the thing is like when I'm working with clients or I'm even talking to you guys about conversations it's not like a definite like this is the only way to do things and and I think that the dog owners out there that are listening to this and even watching this that's where they run into problems is they go online and they they don't understand that there's it's like picking a restaurant or even like niching down even more than that it's like picking like we went out to like fine chinese restaurant last night and it's even more than like niching down to just dog training as a whole it's like there's certain people who have these results and you know if you're watching somebody that is just constantly putting out information about what they feel and uh, as well as like how they train their dogs in their home like that's only going to be applicable likely to those environments like it's that person's dogs in their home and that's how they're training and for me I, I try to like we filmed earlier and I was explaining that the dog that you rescued from the kill shelter that was shutting down and insecure and not shutting down in a terrible way but shutting down because he was nervous and not really working for food and like I'm gonna feel like it doesn't make me look good by filming this session because the dog is so out of whack, but we work through the entire afternoon working with the dog because that's the type of footage that people actually need to see. Like they need to know like, okay, when my dog doesn't want this treat, what do I do? And that's what I tried to put out earlier. And so anyway, so we can have that conversation at a different time, but it's just a good point that, um, just in general, you know, and that's the beauty of like having podcasts and people listening and watching podcasts is, it's long form content on like we have we all collectively have uh, you know a good amount of experience uh, with working with different variations of you know making everyone kind of works with different things like some of you guys work with board and train some of you guys work in daycare some of you guys work in training so there's a lot of conversations but at the end of the day like it's a good point just making sure that you pick your 
person properly and understand that it's not a tribalistic approach. It's not like I believe in this person, you know, it's like just make sure that it works. Like it's, you got to read through certain things, but yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's like fad diets too. It's like one doesn't work. They switch cause they're not consistent. They switch to the next. It still right. doesn't work. And there's like, all right, I can't train my dog, but it's like, you also can't be, you can't be switching that quick, but you also can't be switching mindsets on how you're going to train every day. Cause you're not going to see any results. It's going to be frustrating, but you also can't be afraid to try different things. Cause a lot of people start with what it balanced or purely positive or whatever it is. And they only do one way or even just, I mean, just straight up just correcting a dog in every position, which is very old school training, which luckily it's, it's dying out and we're not seeing it as much anymore. Um, but it's like, do not be afraid to try new methods. Even, even if you do different methods for different situations, it's, it's not one size fits all. Well, well I, I think too, like though, it's, it's, it's also based on the dog. Yeah. You know, like there's certain dogs that are going to need more of this and others need more of that. Whether it's okay, this dog is super stressed, so food's not going to work. So body pressure t- starts to take over versus a dog who's totally in, is in love with food. You can make them do whatever you want, and they're going to say hell yeah because I'm getting paid for it. You know, yeah. it's like you just have to, to be able to read the room. And I think in a lot of ways, people are very quick to like, so like, come on, let's go. It's like, well, the dog is the one that we're teaching. I mean, like if they're too stressed out, the two work. We have to, you know, work through it. You know, the, even like Kyle, you know, had a session where he's doing multiple just a lot of leash pressure because the dog just didn't want to move it's like well you can't force that you have to work at it Mm -hmm. yeah dog we talked about the other day just shut down wouldn't take food lady just for four or five years whatever it was just all right we're going home type of thing it's like you you have to help that dog through that situation with pressure fair pressure but pressure nonetheless because you can't bribe the dog with hot dogs because they shut down from stress because they're off the property line so yeah and especially if you're doing it for like more than six months let alone a year or five yeah What's the definition of insanity, Julia? How would you like me to answer that? With the definition of insanity. (laughs) Boom, roasted your ass. I don't think you can say that on the podcast. Yeah, you can swear. Oh. You don't know the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Zach knows. All right, what's the next question on the board, Abby? Ooh, what is it? How old are we talking? Oh, okay. Oh man, I yeah, so like, Kyle's ready. What, yeah. we, what, what age are we well, talking? Okay, so here, so let's go down the line. All right. Start with you, and we won't have to go first. into details. I just have a question for everybody. Okay. What, what would this is? This is actually a good question, and that's why I love doing this podcast. Is this like long form conversations with professionals that are eager to learn more about things? So, what would you consider a puppy? Like what ages? And I don't, I don't need a ton of context. I just need, like, if somebody was like, oh, my puppy is this, and you'd be like, hmm, that's not really uh, Yeah, I mean, like, eat whenever, obviously, when the dog is first born up until 11 months a year, maybe a little over a year. I think it it's hard because I think puppy is also somewhat of a mental state for the dog. Yeah, <laughs> like, some dogs have puppy stages that last way longer because they don't mentally develop as fast. But, like, yeah. <laughs> I'd probably say up until a year-ish. So there's no real set for you. Okay. Julia? There are some dogs that are just going to be puppies forever. Okay. At heart. Yeah. At Darby. At Darby. Yeah. At Darbus. Yeah. Does he have an Instagram? It's at I'm going with Owen. And Darby. No. <laughs> oh. It's <laughs> weird. <laughs> what? I say, honestly, I always describe like up to six months as like true puppyhood. And then they kind of go into like a tween category where they're still like, you know, obviously very much 
immature, mentally de developing, but I think there's a little bit more that you can work with mm -hmm. because I think like puppies truly are like, they forget their name. They, and I always say like, you got, you got to be more fun than dirt. And I think yeah. from, for yeah. most dogs, like it's probably pretty accurate, but I think for dogs, especially under six months, that is like the, the core, like even Zora for the, like the first two months that, you know, that I had her. I, I I distinctly remember saying like God damn she does not like me but in but in reality you know I was coming down really strict and hard on her knowing that you well, yeah I know right oh, me hurt. yeah oh my God <laughs> have, have you met way, her by the way um so I so we had our staff dinner last night at the nice Chinese place <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not gonna bring up I'm not gonna bring up how many margaritas Tom no I'm gonna just talk about I texted Adam a picture um our friend Adam. And um, no bad lawns. I texted a picture, and, <laughs> and so it's like it's it's all of it's all of us sitting at like the table. Yeah. And uh, when did you there's take that? <laughs> there's just Zach at the Zach at the end of the table, and Adam goes, Adam go, he goes, look at BB, and like didn't didn't say anything. Like there's no hurt. Yeah, no context. Like just BB, and I've never heard anybody refer to you as BB. So I'm like BB. It's a new development. Yeah. So so then so then he just goes Big Bert head of the table. <laughs> anyway, full send baby. So so you said six months is definitely puppyhood. Yeah, I would say yeah for sure. I, I mean six six to a year is like teen puppy. Yeah, I mean, that's a good. It's like the tween teenagers blossoming in the teenage years. Oh yeah, good times. Abby, I'm sending you this photo so you can put it in the. YouTube, <laughs> so you can show people Big B at the end of the table. Jason. That's a new one. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the six to eight months puppyhood, and then you're kind of getting into, like, adolescent, teenage years. Um, but definitely the breed of dog will play a role in that. Uh, XL breeds mature much different than toy breeds, so there's that's also a factor with their mental maturity. And physical size maturity, which also plays a role in training if you have a hundred pound eight month old dog. Yeah. Um, but I would I would say by the the one year mark you're starting to get more to the serious phase or adulthood. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of agree with um, you know, what Zach and Kaysen both said that it really just kind of depends on the dog and after you get past that like first core six months of the dog's life then you like Zach said you have more to work with um so they're just starting to kind of catch up to what you're doing and then there's something to be said for like you know being a little too harsh or not enough structure and just paying attention again to the dog in front of you and what they need as they develop yeah um, but I would say again like once you hit kind of that year to year and a half where they start to mature all the way around um that's you know where I would put the cutoff yeah Okay, let's go over the tips. Okay. All right. So, uh, why don't you? Why don't we collectively come up with three so we don't well, all we, say the same stuff? I have a really good one. My favorite okay. thing to do with young puppies is boundaries. So, like coming in and out of the crate, thresholds, doorways, things like that. That's what we just did. It doesn't with have to be verbal. Just you know, starting those manners early. That's what we just did with your new foster. Little little duke. Little duke. Little Actually, duke. I kept I kept when we were filming, I kept like wanting to call him Hazard because I was. <laughs> I was he, like, yeah, he is. I was joking. <laughs> well, I was joking earlier from like Duke's a hazard. So when you said Duke, I'm like, I'm just gonna call him Hazard. But no, he did good. He did good on that. Okay, I so mean, he's adoptable, so he could be. He could have any name. But yeah, that's true. So, um, boundaries, thresholds. Great. Not even nonverbal, like, hey, right. you can't. Great training. 
Okay. Say it louder. What kind of crate, what kind of crate do you recommend? Buddy? Impact, baby. Yeah, impact. Impact all day long. Good impact. Okay. impact all day long. That's in the whip. Okay. <laughs> impact. But yeah, no, crate train without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, like I distinctly remember bringing Zor home and saying, "Let's see how bad she is," you know, in the crate. But at the same time, it was one of those things where I put her in. Yeah. She screamed for like five minutes. I just walked out of my room, and then I waited till she was quiet. Walked back in. Didn't engage. Just walked in my appearance, and then she, in a sense, quieted down. I left again and just played the game until in a couple days later. She was so much more calm and settled in her crate. But at the same time, like I think, like when you take home a puppy, you have, at least in my opinion, like the first year of the dog's life is going to set up the next twelve. You know, so if you don't do crate training, boundary structure, being fair, of course, but you're going to have, or there's a chance you're going to have a really hard time. You know, especially you know, in a sense, like. Dogs come in here, you know, with behavioral issues anywhere from, at this point, like a year and a half to two, three years old. And big question, is your dog crate, crate trained? And they're like, no. It's like, well, that will play a role. Or yeah. they were for four weeks. Yep, and then they and then they stopped. And it's like, well, that's not helping because your dog is super anxious, super nervous. I mean, it's the idea of, like, if you were growing up and you didn't have your own space, you know, bedroom, closet, who knows, you know, like, you're not going to be able to, you know, calm down and cope. Harry Potter, yeah. dude. Yeah, man. You know, <laughs> like the Darby closet. Oh yeah. Yes. Darby's closet. Well, I think I think too that a lot of people um, no. undervalue really proper socialization. Like for me, when I have like I don't really touch puppies anymore unless it's like working line puppies, Kyle, now, stuff like that. Kyle, what's yeah. what is uh, social socialization? Yeah, I was gonna get into that. Don't worry. All right. Well, I'm just got saying. you, man. All right, uh, all right, all right. So, and when I say socialization, I think a, a lot of people, and I have to have this conversation with clients. A lot of people think, okay, meet every single dog we see, meet every single person we see. It's, uh, arguably, more important is like environmental socialization and having them very environmentally sound. Like once they're vaccinated. Home Depot, Lowe's, pet-friendly places, get them everywhere you can and build really positive associations with it. A lot of people want their puppies having a perfect downstay by the time they're five months old. Um, that's not the most important thing. The obedience will come with time. I'm more about food luring, confidence building, exposure, letting them meet people and dogs, but specific people and dogs, and being picky about how you let them intro get introduced to those people and dogs. Um, but I think a lot of people really miss out on the exposure to young age and don't realize how vital it is to have a well-rounded dog when they're older. And obviously, if we talk exposure, genetics always come down the line at some point. So that's something that pops up. And sometimes you just can't do anything about it. And if it's genetics, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do to change genetics. Um, but I think management and stuff like that in the house, having the dog leashed, supervised all the time. But I think exposure is the biggest thing I tell my clients to do before they start coming in. It's like, I'm not going to see you for like a month to two months get your dog out, feed them, and the, do hand feeding with every single puppy. That's super important to help build the relationship, but just exposure, exposure, exposure. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, right now with Banks, like there's a, there's a ton of synergy between raising puppies and raising yeah. a child. It's like it's very similar. And like the desensitization, like, you know, with Banks, he's been on – he's been to almost every state in the country, and he's been to already like toward the U.K. and back before he's like – four and a half months old more traveled than i yeah so 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 many people so everyone's like uh, so my point is this i'm you know that's just i'm just saying like the other day we were at taylor's aunts in long island and something along the lines of like oh is the baby sleeping do you want us to like i'm like you can do anything you want 
Like, you can talk as loud as you want. You can laugh as loud as you want. You can turn the music up. You can turn the TV on. Oh, you know, yeah, we, we they didn't want to turn the, the hockey game on because the baby was sleeping in the other room. And I'm like, this baby just got off a worldwide tour and he has heard and seen so much already. So like, it's the same thing as like that desensitization, right? Like, you know, there's some, it's same thing with dogs. Like if they've never seen a garbage truck or a vacuum or a snow shovel, by the time they're like eight months, it's going to spook them out or they're just going to harass you about it. And so Julie, did you have something to say about like your puppy tips? So we have, we have boundaries, we have crate training, we have socialization, which in, from what I heard from Kyle, is neutrality in realistic environments. Confidence building, neutrality. It's a big pie chart. It's not just meeting dogs and people. Shoot, can we get a... Do you have the pie chart? I don't have a visual. <laughs> I can, can probably... Yeah, my handwriting's pretty bad, though, so it you might want someone else to do it. So it is very it. bad. Oh, pie chart will go here. <laughs> <laughs> we need, Thanks, we need, Abby. <laughs> we do need... We're just giving Abby so much work to do. <laughs> we do Sorry, need, like, Abby. a like a whiteboard in here so we can have Kyle draw. I don't... Mm. You might not we know do what the picture is. Oh, we, oh yeah. We do so have rude. a whiteboard in here, but he does also have chicken scratch. So I try my hardest, man. It can be challenging I'll to decipher it, sometimes. Don't ask me to read what he does in any of his board and train sessions because I won't be able to tell you. Yeah. We, we, we see the initials and we knew something was done. <laughs> there was some quality work there. I don't, we even, don't know what it was. I don't. I don't even know if I can decipher the initials though. I just see the chicken scratch and I go, "All right, that checks out." That was Kyle. Yeah. We had delayed learning when I was younger. Wait, was there? Was delayed there, learning. Wait, wait, I went wait, to wait. A speech therapist when I was younger. Don't make fun of me, dude. <laughs> what does that have what to, does do, that do, have to do with, with writing? writing? I probably affected that too. <laughs> <laughs> it might be more of a cognitive thing. We don't know. I've never been an artsy guy. Uh, with writing? You don't have Yeah, to writing, drawing. Write. I think they go hand in hand. If you're That's good at I think both. if you're good at drawing, you have a much, much better chance of be if you have a good good at writing, much better chance of be good at drawing. That's so false. Or at I least can tell you, you could transfer it quicker if you applied yourself. I can tell you from personal experience I that I am a horrible yeah, artist. Maybe. How often have you tried to draw? Have you been consistent like dog training about it? Probably not. So try for a couple weeks, and I guarantee you, you'll be pretty good. Okay, I'll I'll bring you a picture every single day. That's what I want. Okay, yeah. and it's just same, not going to be same good. subject every single day, and you'll okay. see the progress over the course of a month. A house, a tree, and a person. No, um, it's like what you draw in kindergarten. Yeah, it's well, it's what you draw for, for like therapy. art therapy. Wait, yeah. did you hear me? Kindergarten. 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 Like a garden. Kindergarten. Kindergarten. Element. Elementary. Elementary. No. Anyway, all right. No. So, did eh. you have any tips for the? The people out there about mm, probably not okay <laughs> Alyssa, do you have any that you want to add Kason? i know you said boundaries i Alyssa, think but. i think uh well kyle already kind of mentioned it but i would like to harp on the importance of hand feeding yes okay so hand feeding so people who don't know what that is they just got a puppy they just got a dog that they rescued when you say hand feeding can you go over and, and can you pull the mic away just a little bit Sorry. No, you're fine. You, it's not fair to you because you don't have headphones because you can't. You don't know the volume. I know. I'm That's just... perfect. That's perfect. So when you say hand feeding, talk about that. Feeding your dogs via your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just roast my ass or what? <laughs> Boom, roasted. So okay, that's it. Kyle, do you want to talk about Casey? Yeah. Um, what do you want to talk about hand feeding? I mean, feeding? What, so when do you want to go? You can go. No, go it's fine. No, pop off. No, go. 
<laughs> I think I think pop off. Um, I'll just add like a couple things to it. So when, when you're hand feeding, I mean, essentially, essentially, you're just doing training sessions, but your uh, everything is coming from your hand. So it can start to build a really good relationship with your dog because they see where the value of the food is coming from. Um, a couple tips for it, if anyone out there wants some, they're pretty good. Um, <laughs> I I always tell people don't feel the need to just break it up into the traditional two three meals. Whatever you feed your puppy, I usually tell people put their whatever amount of food they're getting in a little container or in your training pouch do a bunch of sessions short sessions throughout the day especially with puppies cut sessions down because they do not have the mental stamina or capacity to do long sessions so instead of just doing three sessions you can bang out like five six smaller sessions which is going to be a lot more useful for the dog and a lot more productive um but yeah what are the benefits of playing viewer here yes mm-hmm. what are the benefits of hand feeding your dog so like Okay, I my my puppy in the morning gets a cup and a cup at night. If I put a if I put a cup of food in my treat pouch and I go out and train, like what are like other than the obvious of starting new behaviors, but what are the benefits of doing that? Like why would you do that versus why would you do hand feeding versus feed your dog in the morning, get him out and then do treats? Like is there any else you want to add to that? Do you want to go? It's not a test, guys. Oh, I know. I'm just trying to get her involved. Oh, okay. I'm fine. I feel like I cut you off, so I just no, you can no. answer. No, you. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, what's so funny over there, Zach Burt? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think <laughs> BB. The, the, like I mentioned earlier, starting to build that relationship with the dog, it is a much different picture. Your dog taking food directly from your hand than from a free bowl. Um, Working for making it. them work. Yeah, making them work for it. You can start doing luring, obedience stuff. Um, so it's really good for that. I mean, also you're not adding a bunch of extra treats. Obese dogs is a really big problem nowadays. So you're not adding a bunch of extra calories to the dog. The biggest is just relationship though. And it's yep. two birds with one stone. You're feeding them and what's up? Go ahead. No, oh. you, you're, ask, you're feeding them and you're also, uh, you're also getting sessions involved. You're building confidence with the dog. You're building the relationship with the dog, all that type of stuff. Yeah, it's good. And I think like, at least for the hand feeding, I mean, like I deal with, I'm sure Kyle does too, like a decent amount of like mild resource guarding, mm. especially when it comes to, towards food yep. and especially, you know, bringing like a, like, a, like a rescue home or even a new puppy, you know, like if you're starting off by saying, Hey, I'm controlling all the resource, food, water, space, you're got, you're not going to run into issues down the line of the dog saying, Oh, but this is mine. It's like, says who, because we've done this since you've been brought home that I give you the food. You look to, to me, I tell you what to do. And you're and everyone's happy. You're thriving, doing you know doing your thing, and I think like in in a sense though it's like certain dogs are never gonna have those issues, but at the same time the safeguards are important. I mean if you don't if you don't ever do any of this and now you have a absolute you know basket case of a dog who's resource guarding space, you know food, toys, the bed, you the couch. Oh yeah, you you know like it all it all stems from like well why does the dog think that way? You know, like, so when they're hovering over their food bowl and you're just, oh, it's okay, it's okay. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> because, you know, if you walk too close, are you going to get a puncture in, in your leg? Are you going to, you know, get this, get that? And behavior, it's, it snowballs so quickly, you know. So when you have a little puppy who knows, oh, or even like actually Zora didn't see a food bowl until she was almost six, seven months. It was all hand feeding. Mm-hmm. Because, again, like, it was, she was also... High drive, you know, German Shepherd. So, free training sessions, hell yeah. Tired puppy, absolutely. But again, like hand feeding, hand feeding, hand feeding, avoid behavioral issues. Yeah, I think to add to that too, one one thing we really try to instill in clients, and I know all of us that have dogs, like 
what are the most valuable things in their lives, and it's us. It's not the food, it's not the tug, it's us. They're working for us. That's a gateway to pay them for the things that they're doing that we want. So you really, it sounds self-centered, but you want to be the most important things in your dog's life. And if you are giving them, it's arguably one of the top three most important resources they need besides water and air to live and shelter and all that stuff, you are going to skyrocket on their list. So it's going to help neutrality. I mean, it can help curb dog reactivity, people reactivity before it starts because they're looking at you more than anything else in the environment. So that stuff's really important, the engagement, conditioning that when they're really young. Because I also talk, I'll stop in a second, one little more tangent. I, <laughs> I, um, I talk a lot to people about when we start engagement work, there is a huge difference between physical engagement and mental engagement. So like when they're younger, you're doing a lot of physical engagement where you're conditioning the dog to look at you over time when you build the relationships, that's where the mental engagement comes in. Because dogs can be engaged with you but not caring about what you say. It's the same thing when you're talking to people. So that physical engagement, you really start to condition. With time, that's where the mental engagement starts to come in, where they're looking at you, but they're also saying, okay, what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing. Um, I get a lot of questions about Lakota's engagement. Like everyone's like, how oh, did you get her to look at you so much? And part of it is her breed. But the other part is when she was a puppy, that's all I did was she, kind of going back to what everyone was saying and, and collecting these, is she had to go through me to get anything. So if she wanted a ball or if she wanted food or if she wanted to go out or if she wanted anything that she wanted, she had to look directly at my eyes and then I released her to it. So I taught her like with food, I would taught her the focus command. So I would take the food and teach her focus over time. And then anytime, so that's what I did in the beginning as a hand fetter, like with my, I had a Home Depot apron pouch at the time and I would just feed her like that. And I'd say, I'd say, she probably won't do it now, but I, I can't remember if I said like look or focus or something or eyes or something. And she'd look at me and I'd pay her. And so, so that, that's why like now when I get a ball out or I get a tug out, she's like staring at my eyes because she knows when she was a puppy, I got her at six weeks. Um, and I know when she was a puppy, I worked on all that. So that's something that like people ask me all the time. How is Lakota so engaged? And again, part of it is her, her working lines, but the other part is, is when she was a puppy, I imprinted that, that no matter what she wants, she has to go through me to get it. So, so underrated unless you're in it. So hand feeding boundaries, crate training. Kason, you have anything? Yeah. Um, not necessarily, um, the foundational stuff that they were talking about, but I think it comes very closely thereafter with an, more so an actual command and action that I feel like we can all say is a life-saving command is recall. I think there's been so many instances where we've heard the horror stories of mm-hmm. my dog got off leash, other people's dogs getting off leash, and that recall is heavily built on engagement. They have to want to come back to you. They have to have that relationship with you to listen. So a lot of that comes from all of the the things that we were just talking about, but I think a life-saving command that every dog should know is a solid recall. Yeah. And I would actually even go a step further and outside the recall. So she's one up, he's one up in you. No, I mean, I'm just yes. building okay. off of it, you know? Kason's yes. here and Zach's like... <laughs> <laughs> Big Bert. Just kidding. Out. An out command. Yeah. Yes. You know, having a strong yeah, out, a drop it, whatever you want to use, because that one time where they steal something, they take it, you, so, you know, as an example, you get a lab. Labs are known to inhale everything, but more importantly, they steal stuff. Mm-hmm. They're, they're retrievers. Like, that's what they do. And so, like, having that ability to have a good out command, whether, you know, at a young age when you're not really having any issues, whether you're doing trading or just two-toying, however you want to do it, 
they're not they're you're avoiding a possessive issue certain breeds are going to be more possessive of course but like a good out command and not where it's like oh you know i had to go grab a treat like no i want them to spit out whatever is in their mouth you know if zora got some chicken bones los and she would spit them out but again at the same time you know you, you i play fetch with her and she looks at me like i'm an, I'm an idiot when i tell her to los but that's another story <laughs> but, i think i think one thing too and this more applies to like people that have working dogs that really have high octane dogs uh if you teach the out properly it will not kill drive so do not be afraid to teach the out early if you teach it right it's not going to kill drive and like zach said it's applicable in everyday life like the recall and out are probably two commands that i use with both of my dogs every single day of their lives whether it's like yep. a dangerous situation or just part of our daily routine and whatever we're doing whether it's fetch or if they find a piece of kibble on the floor that i don't know exactly what it might be yet or something like that if i can just either recall them from it or ask them to leave it is another one that kind of ties in with out or if they already grab something they shouldn't be having asking them to out it's like three things that you can just use in succession with one another to keep everyone safe. Out, crate, but not only just crate, but impulse control and, and boundaries. Well, I mean, I, th neutrality. I, think, I think like a lot of the stuff we're talking about though, it's like, it's, it's not, it's yes, you can say it's, it's obedience, but it's not your, like your sit down stays. And I think those are important. Don't get me wrong. But when you're bringing in a puppy who again, you know, the next 12 to 15 years, it's an investment, you know, you want to have a good foundation. And I think, yes, foundational obedience can come, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's like you only get one chance to set these rules in stone. You know, I can teach a dog who's 10 years old how to sit. Mm -hmm. Can I teach a dog who's 10, year old, 10 years old, you know, how, or not, you know, not to chase cars, you know, like their prey drives out of control, their impulse control is horrid, but you can work on that, but that's management versus yeah. doing it when they're eight, to eight, 12 weeks old, you have so much more flexibility since they're yay big versus yay big. Yeah, so it's just overall relationship. Yeah, yeah. That's why, like, when I was working with um, Duke earlier, uh, you know, we talked about, when we were filming, we talked a lot about, like, my um, No Bad Dog Kickstarter course, which you can purchase in the link below. <laughs> um, no, but that that's, like, the when, when I started off doing that um, course with uh, Elena's dog, Theo, I was like, all right, I'm going to just do, like, because we get this question a lot, like, puppy stuff. Like, how do you, like, what would I do with a puppy? And Theo was like classical puppy, where like Duke was not classical. So it was like a dog that was born and raised around families and like litter mates and like traditional bring up, like with people, right? Like you have like a you have you have a good start, right? You have an advantage, and then there's other people who don't. And like Duke's a perfect example, which is why I'm I'm happy that we were able to film that session because he gave me a ton of pushback. And going back to what you're saying about different training, like if you watch the training video or you watched somebody talk about here's how to train a dog here's how to train a dog that is perfect like that probably won't make any mistakes it makes your job really easy but what about that dog that genetically was born in the streets and had to eat garbage for you know to survive or didn't have mom and dad or whatever so anyway so the the kickstarter course is something too to reflect on because when we did that with theo i was like i'm going to create this puppy course and then i realized i'm like wait i was looking at abby i'm like wait a minute this is not a puppy course this is everything that people see in my dog training videos of a reactive, fearful, aggressive dog is lacking. Everything that I taught Theo in that course was literally all the basics that when people come in with that, so they wait for the problem to happen. And then when they come in here, they're like, my dog is externally exhibiting these behaviors. I want this off. But the reason is because of those things that we're all talking about. So yeah, it's all about relationship and 
just making sure that the dog has those boundaries and understands like, you know, it's not all love and, you know, the bark boxes and like, it's about, it's about boundaries and it's about, uh, balance. And I think that that's where people make a lot of mistake. A lot of dog owners assume, like we were talking about earlier or yesterday is like the, what we feel like dogs would be happy with of like love and affection and attention and cuddles and kisses. Like imagine if we tried to do that with Duke, it would be a, most dogs, it would be a nightmare with, but that's one thing that I think as far as us go, as we work with clients and even in daycare where we're like, no, like your dog does not like people just assume in order to train a dog, you just would give them the pleasantries in life of a comfy bed and good treats and love and cuddles and an Instagram account. And it's like, everything's good. But once they like cross that boundary, no offense, Julia. <laughs> targeted. targeted. You're mom. targeted. No, you're an influencer proper. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, anything else you guys want to add to like, th- obviously it's way past three tips at this point. Yeah. But, I, mean, I mean, well, it's just how it goes. That's how podcasts go. That's how, that's how this podcast goes, baby. Tangents. Yeah. Well, going off of what you were saying, like it, speaking of daycare, like I see many, many daycare clients who, if their dog gets in like a scuffle or, you know, um, snaps at another dog, corrects mm. them, gets hurt, something like that. The minute that they realize that their dog is an animal and they're capable of these things, it's like the glass shatters and their whole world falls apart. Because, like you said, if they just give love and coddling and whatever and treat their dog like a human baby, and, you know, in their head, they just kind of give their dog those human qualities. Um, when they realize that their dog is still capable of being a dog, mm-hmm. it, it just, everything kind of comes falling down for them and having to kind of walk them through that. Or, you know, when new clients come in, uh, making sure that I try to have them understand as much as I can that it is a risk reward situation with daycare um, and it's not for every dog and your dog could get hurt and your dog is an animal and is going to act like an animal. Just making sure they're aware of that before, you know, enrolling in daycare and things like that or any daycare dog park, anytime there are dogs in a group together, injury is always a possibility, no matter how well the dogs like each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So making sure they're aware of that. And then, you know, if something does happen, if they're prepared with the information that that could happen, the blow is a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's something that we see all the time too, is if daycare didn't work out for their dog, they feel like the end of the world. world. Yeah. Yeah, They fall apart. I would never put my dog in daycare. Nope. I just, he's, (laughs) he's always way too much. Gets too overstimulated. Yeah. Like Nova had a good like four months of being able to socialize before she was just like, no, this isn't for me. And she started getting a little uncomfortable. So then boop, we stopped done. Oh, actually I got one more for the, or just, you know, add it to another, not really good, but call it a, 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 um, just a note of, you want to give, don't treat it, so every, it should be a privilege and not a God-given right. You know, so like if you're going to allow your dog on furniture, on the bed, mm-hmm. you know what? Awesome. You know what? They are, they are part of your, your household. They are a family member. They deserve to, you know, at times get those privileges, not God-given rights. Because, you know, like there's dogs that, you know, they, they, hoard, they resource guard the couch. But that's when they've been there since the first night. So, yes, that value has now skyrocketed. I'm calling Nova out here. Oh, no, I'm not, actually. <laughs> no, I'm not calling Nova out. But, like, no, just but just in general. But even Z- Zor did not see the bed, the, mm-hmm. the couch, until she could, she understood. 
Right. Even now, like in the middle of the night, if I want to kick her off, not that I would. She's been kick- kicking herself off lately, but you know, say that, that that's it. She just gets off. I tell her off, and that's it. Right. Or not being afraid to take those privileges away yes. if they display behavior that says they don't deserve to have it. Absolutely. But more importantly, it's like it's not one of those things where it's it's gone for a week. It's gone till you feel they're in a spot that they can have it back. If right. that means two months or two years, mm-hmm. tough love. Right. Like uh, my dogs, for example, like we allow them in bed with us and they can coexist and things like that. We had an instance where my female was laying and I was asleep. My male dog jumped up onto the bed and she snapped at him. She hasn't been allowed in my bed since. I yep. just don't tolerate it. Well, if she that's can't it. handle it, then she doesn't get it. Absolutely. I think to add to that stuff, too, is if you give a dog a privilege, you can take it away. I have a lot of yep. clients really, really struggle with giving a dog a privilege and then taking it away again. And it's, it's I mean, sometimes you're going to give the privilege four times before the dog finally really earns it. And it's solidified that that is what is expected of them. So it's like, do not be afraid to take it away if needed, but give it back when they earn it if you want to give it back. I think some dogs can never go on couches or beds. I think yeah. we've seen Trial that before. Um, but I think to add one last thing with the puppy stuff or two things, like very quick, when this is important it's for the people, it's for the people, it's um, it's important. No, know your breed before you get it. Oh yes. Do not get a breed that is not good for oh, your yes. house. Yeah. Preach. It's one of um, my signs. Yeah. And I think that's one thing where people think that mouse. Oh God. She- oh, she- oh, mouse. Shepherds. Mouse. Yeah. Shepherds. Shepherds right now, I think are starting to die down and mouse are starting to pick up a little bit, unfortunately, because. of the population should never touch one of those dogs. And this is not from a gatekeeping perspective because I think a lot of trainers do gatekeep breeds for what, and people just gatekeep breeds. But it's like, if if you cannot handle a a lab, a golden, a doodle, whatever, do not get a mouse. Don't get a shepherd. Don't get an Aussie. Don't get these really high octane dogs that were supposed to be working pretty much from sunup till sundown with like, that's what they're bred for. And also get it from a good breeder because you get a male or a shepherd or a high octane or any dog from a breeder that's not doing a good job at breeding and producing good quality dogs it's just going to get worse the higher up you go as far as activity level of the dog so it's like be picky about the breeder do your research and even though they're cute it doesn't mean it's for you yeah so if you can't handle it it's not a bad thing it's not you shouldn't be ashamed about it but if you get that dog and you're not prepared they're probably going to end up dead or back in the shelter or a two-way shelter. So it's like you're, you're giving the dog a really unfair life if you are being that self-centered where your ego is in front of the dog's needs. So I think that's really important. It's not, it, some people don't like hearing that stuff and I've had conversations with that with clients, but it's like you have to get brought back down to earth because you're putting this dog in a very unfair, dangerous situation, not only for the dog, but other people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know like every time, especially the Malin, like I just make the joke at this point where it's like, oh, Malin was French for don't get one. Like, just don't get a mal unless you know what you're doing. Because every time, like, I've been here four years, every time I see a mal, my first question is, why'd you get a mal? I'm not trying to be, you know, rude. I'm just I'm sent, I'm asking, like, what is your goal with this dog? Mm-hmm. Because if, if you tell me, you know, just, you know, obedience, agility, I'm like, that's not. Oh, protection for yeah. the home. Yeah. Not in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, get an Aussie. Get Don't do a Malinois. Malinois are bitey breeds. And every single one of those, their their genetics will tell them. Use your mouth. Get a high energy lab. Yep. It was the fun and more stable. <laughs> <laughs> or an Aussie. Yeah, I said, fun. I said something in a recent video that I think we took out, but is an unpopular opinion. I said, I re- and this is probably unpopular to you guys. But <laughs> oh, it's oh, probably directed at me. <laughs> I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It was, um, I, would, I, I just said that I would much rather have my clients get a Malinois than a Border Collie. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Fair, yes. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yes. 
Right. People, people don't realize how superstitious oh, yes. border collies are. They, they are, are freaks. Yes. They are freaks of dogs. Oh, Julie's got something to say. Give her the mic. Or, oh. Not even that. I feel like. Pull it away a little bit. Oh. oh. Sorry. Oh, you're good. Oh, it's really coming out. <laughs> Sorry. It, shh. No, you're, you're good. Italian. You're good right there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like border collies are one of the most primitive breeds oh, yeah. out there right now. Like, their genetics are so, so strong. We had a Border Collie for a board and train not too long ago. And he is one of the best Border Collies of all time. He's, like, very people-friendly, loosey-goosey, can go to the dog park and be chill. But he's very Border Collie. Every other aspect of him is very Border Stocky. Collie. Yeah, Stocky, yes. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I, I, we actually did a follow-up with him recently. And we were talking about... He, he, they found him on Craigslist or something like that. Facebook. Um, lucky, man. They are the luckiest yes, people Yes, they are very, very lucky. This dog's a treat. Um, and almost every single time the guy picks up a toy, the dog goes into a down. Like the crouchy, yeah, low... Yeah. Let me kill this thing. Yes, and get let, it me, let me add it. Hurt it. Um, and so I kind of explained to them that that is likely genetic. So I, I wouldn't necessarily like try to correct that out of him or work it out of him. I mean, I, there's no issue with him really doing it at this point in time. Um, but they like didn't know that that was a very yeah. genetic thing. We see a lot of that. All right. I think we'll wrap it up there. But uh, yeah, this is this is the first of uh, the No Bad Dogs podcast with the uh, group and the staff. So make sure you guys stay around for more. Abby's gonna. Um, oh, Abby, you want me to do that again? I'll do it again. Who's ever who's ever listening to audio, you're about to get this closing out again because because the camera died or something. But anyway, so thank you guys for watching, listening, all that stuff. This is the first of many, and um, we'll see you next time. All right, you guys, you've reached the end of the podcast, and I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. First one comes from Hound Lover 3 five-star review. I first discovered Tom and his content when I wanted to introduce my tree walker coonhound mix to the e-collar properly. His content, where am I? Jeez. His content helped me learn how to introduce the e-collar properly, and my dog thrived being able to be off-leash, walks, and tree squirrels in the wooded area near our home. I started listening to the podcast to level up in other areas of obedience and beyond outdoor recall and sit and wait. The knowledge I'm going to gain helped me work through some leash reactivity with my foster dog, who's been successful with her forever home for a year now. Yay. And it's currently helping my tree walker coonhounds leash skills and... Um, the question here's thanks Tom and team everything you do I appreciate your own your open-minded non-judgmental approach and respect for everyone's client I also love that you treat every case uniquely and emphasize on creative creativity involved and encourage it's encouraged me to find creative solutions into things keep doing you well thank you so much for that review I appreciate it a lot all right Jenna Aiden's questions next five star review love Tom's training training dog training wisdom that's all right guys it's a little early for me I'm, I'm actually putting this out uh, before I go in to train some of my out-of-state, so I'm a little... I haven't had my coffee yet. My No Bad Dogs coffee, that is. Link in the description to get your own. <laughs> Tom, you're the you're the real deal. I'm a third-time GSD... Or no, GDD. I don't know what a GDD... German... I don't know. Anyway, my first two lived to be 12 and 13, respectively. My latest is two years old. Solid black working line G GSD. Ah. 
getting through first year of training was rough, but then I found your podcast and YouTube channel. Jonah is still intact, two years old, and he's doing so well. Thank you for your training technique and your balanced training philosophy. Love what you do and wealth of information you share. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you leaving that review. It means a lot to me, giving me that feedback. Next one is from Ala and Rika. Five-star review, most helpful dog training information. Thank you so much for your... Thank you so much, Tom, for your perspective and the tools that you have given for free. I am I have a one-year-old German Shepherd Rescue that I got at eight months. She is the sweetest dog, and I'm working on training with her to be a service dog. She's really good with even strangers and little kids. She listens very well to me inside with low distractions and in environments when I'm in store working on PA. She is not super interested in me. So basically, the dog isn't interested in this individual uh, when they're out actually working their service dog work. I usually end up finding a quiet corner where I can help relax and refocus. Do you have any suggestions to help her focus on me without having to sit in the corner for a while? I'm looking to get an e-collar just because I want to give her more freedom and I want to improve our accountability. And I've watched a lot of your videos about the e-collar and how to introduce them, but I was wondering what you use the vibration for. So the vibration I use for a... um, what what I call intervention mode. So the vibration is a deterrent and I only use it under certain circumstances. I talk a lot about this in my e-collar introduction course, but I only use that for a punishment system that is uh, really dangerous, either a dog reactive or dog not coming back or something like that. But remember that my pager on my doctor 280C is also, excuse me, is also very intense. So when other people may use their vibrates or their pager, it may not be as meaningful. The pager on the Dogtra 280C Tom Davis edition is very powerful. So just keep that in mind. Uh, I have seen a lot of service dog handlers on YouTube that use e-collar and use the mini educator. I was planning on getting that. And then I came across your Dogtra collar. How would you compare them? Um, uh, like I said, the, the pager is, is definitely definitely more intense where it needs to be and then also just having the uh having the cool colors of my dog tray e-collar is really cool you get the no bad dog bungee um and it's it's really kind of designed with me in mind uh and you guys in mind so i've I've really developed this as from a training standpoint doctor basically reached out to me and was like hey we want to put this collar together with you we want you to make it exactly how you would want it uh and there's some new features actually coming out uh coming up here, which I'm excited about. So, I mean, it's just preference and support really what it comes down to. I mean, there's a lot of decent collar units out there and, um, it's really just preference. And then uh, I was wondering how you taught Lakota to go to her touch command. I have taught my dog place, but she doesn't super reliable. Um, so the, the touch command is just using food in a bowl, super simple. Um, using, and again, this, I go over this a lot in my, uh, in my Kickstarter course, but super simple teaching the dog touch using a leash, a a raised bed or a food bowl, uh, flipped over. I use like a trough bowl that you get from tractor supply. It's like a, it's like a rubber trough bowl. It's like black. And I use that when she was a puppy, super simple. took me about mm, 20 minutes. Uh, very, very simple. As long as the dog gets food motivated, it makes things a lot easier. Uh, let's see. Cool. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for the question. And, uh, I hope that that helps you helpless for hounds. Next one, compassionate, helpful advice for so many. I am somewhat a new listener to the podcast and I found it immensely helpful in continuing training in our relationship building with my, with my, wow, four dogs. I have moved to the, I've moved to the South 
with my four dogs and I moved two years ago and I know I wanted to adopt my first dog. I joke that I was duped into adopting a coonhound, but I have fallen in love with the breed and is a sense of purpose that I now have with three rescue hounds and a stray boss terrier who is with us as well. My question is about my two newest additions. She's 11 years old walker hound. So she's 11 year old tree walker hound, I think, who appears to have been bred and hunted her entire life. She has Lyme disease and limited mobility in all of her joints and has to drive 50 pounds at five years old, all joints, but still has the drive of 50 pounds at five years old, three months in. And I'm starting to notice resource guarding and a lot of bossiness with the adolescent knucklehead who doesn't back down. They've had a few intense arguments. Fortunately, my first two hounds and their obedience with their e-collar trained. Um, uh, she is e-collar trained as well on tone recall, but does not seem to have any obedience. I know that I've been working with obedience with her as well and uh, my other dogs to establish a relationship and keep in harmony in our pack. I stupidly put the, I stupidly put up with her bossiness from the beginning, and now she is settled in and escalating. Thing, the thing is, is I can't ask her to sit or down. Is it, it? It's too difficult for her physically. Place is somewhat obtainable, but I don't necessarily want to send her away. Do you have any advice on how to work with basic obedience with a dog that has limited mobility? She walks fine and can even gallop, but uh, getting down is hard for her. Okay, when, when I use the place or stay with her, I need to have her attention and not the foundation of obedience training. Not trying to have an obedience champion, of course. I just want to have the best relationship possible for her final years. Uh, thank you so much for your show, and I especially appreciate the how, I don't even know what that word is, judicious you are, and taking about new different training styles. I have stopped following a few trainers because I have no interest in mudslinging, only in giving my dogs the best life I can. You are a breath of fresh air. Thanks. I'm sorry if I, like I said before, I am like, I, <laughs> I wanted to put this podcast out, but I, apparently I can't even talk because maybe it's too early. All right. So, well, first thing is, well, thank you for the review. And second thing is, I think you should um, get C CBD oil at least. There's great CBD oil out there that, that has been really beneficial for joint and arthritis pain if continually used. Um, I've, I've had great success with it with my dogs in the past. Um, I don't, there's a CBD company called CBDMD, which is a big company. Um, all their farms are grown, all their, um, all their marijuana is grow, grown in Kentucky, I believe. So all their plants and everything is grown right here in the States and it's, it's really nice and I've used it. It's, it's great. Uh, that's the first thing I would do, and I th I believe I have a code. It's NBD10. I want to say for ten percent off, but that's a that's the first thing I would do is because I mean at five years old, I mean my dog Lola had Lyme disease when she she was like five or six. She lived till she was eighteen, so your dog still could have at least ten more years. So I know that you said that she's you want to make her life better uh, while you can, but Lyme disease doesn't always mean the worst, you know, Lyme disease, you know, I don't know everything about it, but I do know that my dog had had it before and we combated it with uh, antibiotics and anti-inflammatory and we never saw a spike up for the rest of her life. So, you know, that's something to maybe do some research on, or maybe I can find a, a specialist that I can have on the podcast to chat about it. But either way, I would just say with, with what you're doing, I, I think, you just have to get creative to understand your goals. If she doesn't down and sit that good, you can still do a standing stay. So, and you could do a send away to the place and then she can. So what I would do is I would do a place command on a bed, but not worry about if she 
downs or sits. I would just put her to a place, put her to the bed, let her relax. If she lays down, that's fine. So really just be working on what you want. I mean, it's not really up to me to tell you what things you have to be doing. However, uh, I think that your dog is fully capable of, you know, doing, doing the things that you want her to do. Uh, I just think you just have to get creative to figure out what you want to do. But I mean, realistically, if your dog just doesn't down or sit, you can still do everything. Um, you can still do a stay, you can still do a place, you can still do literally everything else. Um, so that's my suggestion is just everything that you would normally do with her. Just don't put her into a down or a sit in those positions and you should be, oh my, see guys, that's how early is my alarm still going off. Um, but yeah, I just think, you know, getting into literally every single basic that you have continually just without putting the dog into an app, um, an actual, uh, position. I think you'd be fine with that. So don't, there's no, um, well, I shouldn't say there's no limitations, but just because your dog has some arthritis and some, some joint pain doesn't mean that they can't understand obedience. And I also think that you can do a lot of fun stuff. Um, you know, like, again, I, I think just get creative. I think you should just get creative and figure out like what your dog likes and work on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, my suggestion is, is like, if you came in, you're like, Hey, my dog really can't sit and stand, but can gallop and walk just fine. Then I would just be working on literally everything that I, you would want to do with your dog, just not putting them into position and just kind of letting them float into position when they feel comfortable to do so. So it's totally fine to do. All right, you guys, I hope you guys like this podcast. If you did, make sure you review on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, I appreciate you guys a lot. Again, I woke up super early to get this out because I felt bad I didn't get one out uh, this week for you. So hopefully you like it, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye.